When is the last time you listened to a podcast about web development, web design, and small business and didn't fall asleep? Yes, we cover web development, web design, and small business, but like actual human beings with personalities. If you're a beginner, we're not going to talk over your head. It's more like asking your buddy for help. We have guests, we have fun, and let me tell you, these two can get off on a tangent. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to HTML All The Things Podcast. This is Matt Lawrence and Mike Curran. That's what everybody, we are back. This is episode 202, Should You Learn to Code If You Use No Code? So this episode, the title suggests it, obviously, but we're going to be talking about whether you should actually learn to code if you use no code, but in a, with a bit of a twist, I guess. So most no coders are oftentimes designers or people that just learn to use no code and do or like perform a whole bunch of business-based tasks and slowly turn it into a side hustle or turn it into a full-time business where they have a whole bunch of clients on Webflow or on a whole bunch of other different no-code platforms. And basically, uh, you know, they're limited by their, or arguably they're limited by their ability to not code, or maybe they aren't. So we're going to be talking about basically, you know, if you are a no-coder, should you be learning how to code Should you not be learning how to code? You know, what's the pros? What's the cons? And kind of do a deep dive into that. And at the end, we'll do a little coverage on if you have a no code business like this, how at least I think you should slowly get into code from that particular starting point instead of a starting point like you just decide you want to be a computer programmer and decide you want to code and you dive into a whole bunch of other stuff. Because I think the path should be a little different. So if this sounds interesting to you and you want to support the show, you can go check us out on that Patreon, leave a review or rating on your podcast app, join us in our Discord server or share this with your friends. And, uh, you know, just as we covered, I think maybe two new episodes ago, because I know last week was a re-release, but two new episodes ago, I think we covered NoCo Tools quite a bit. Um, and uh, as we said, NoCo Tools are getting more powerful by the day. Uh, on this show alone, we've covered a variety of no-code capabilities and innovations over the years, and these capabilities open up a lot of different features that no-coders can implement, and these features are typically things that full custom code would have would have had to tackle before. So you would have had to code, code up, say, a membership site from scratch, but now you can go to member stack, now you can wait for Webflow memberships, the, the more official one, or the, or the one from Webflow, I should say. Um, Stuff like that. But, you know, these these custom coding, you know, additions, if you will, really do come up. So if you have a client and you have them on the phone and they're going through and they're saying, hey, you know, I really need a uh, gym website. They run like a local gym and you know, I need all this marketing material. I need like a little schedule put up. I need all this and that. You can probably use your no code tool depending on its capabilities for the entire thing. But then. Oftentimes, a client will ask for something very particular, like, hey, I don't want to just manage appointments by email or by form, which is probably going to an email anyway. I want to do this with a full kind of custom solution. And oftentimes, they'll bring an example to the table. They'll bring something like someone or some competitor that they've seen and they want to mimic that scheduling software. Or maybe their friend who's in a different type of business has like a really handy uh membership platform or really handy platform they use and they want to use that platform, but with a bunch of custom stuff. And so 
you'd have to sort of tack on these custom code elements and allowing people to or allowing or rather implementing, I suppose you could say these these features is much easier said than done because you're coding up something from scratch. You're going from just making that marketing site. And even though this is just one schedule page or one appointments page, it's basically its own app. And this sort of situation where a client or even if it's a project you're building for yourself, if it has a feature that it needs or wants or would enhance it by a lot, if it has something that goes beyond the no-code platform you're using and goes beyond maybe other no-code platforms that you can plug into the main one that you're using, this is a problem. So realistically speaking, a client may refuse you at this stage if you refuse them. So if, for example, it's a first impression situation, you might be on a call with them, they'll say, hey, I want this schedule software. And you say you at the point at this point in the call, you've covered all the marketing stuff and you've been like, yep, yep, I could do that. I have these cool ideas. You know, maybe we could talk to your videographer and stuff like this. And you're pitching ideas back and forth, just like a normal sort of intro meeting. And then once they hit this sort of more complicated step, if you sort of hesitate and sort of say, hey, you know, I can't do this. This isn't really for me. Sometimes they'll think, "Okay, you know what? This is just the beginning of the advanced features I want, whether they tell you that or not. And I don't want to you know, deal with someone who can't do the advanced features or doesn't have a, a de- does not have a developer on hand. And also, if you decide or maybe you work with a, a developer who can do these things, oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes the cost is rather steep to hire out. And you're obviously you know, going to charge a little bit of a markup or a service fee or something in most cases. And they might think, you know what, you know, the price is a bit too steep and I'm going to go with somebody else. Now, this is obviously you know, based on situation. Maybe you have a really good developer relationship like with a developer and you have good rates and stuff like that. But just in general, you know, you're kind of stuck there. It's either you can you, or either you have to sell them. Hey, I can't do this. Uh, you know, this goes beyond my capabilities or you more or less have to hire out. Right. So. With this sort of situation in play, do you wait for more and more capabilities, which are coming and innovations to come to no code to expand your tool set and expand your capabilities? Or should you learn to code? So as a no coder, you know, should you learn to code? And ultimately, I think that learning to code gives you more options when building projects. But it's not just a cut and dry thing. It's not just you know, hey, you know, learn to code, go do that, and then you'll be way better. So I've compiled a list of pros and cons. So, so before we before you jump in, I kind of want to <clears throat> interject a little bit um, and give another take on this because I, I, I get your situ- I get the situation you're laying out. You're a developer or not a developer. You're someone that kind of took on a client maybe uh, to help them with like a WordPress installation or maybe just setting up a quick Wix site or Squarespace site because you had the free time and stuff like that. Like you're not a developer. You're just someone that took on some work, some freelance work and you got through it. You got something up there. It's fine. It, it, it does the clients. It does whatever, whatever is needed to be done. That's one situation that could happen where you, you know, dive into no code without knowing code and you have to have this decision, right? Like you have to make that decision, like, should you learn to code or should you not learn to code? It's realistic. Like it has, it, ha- it happens to people all the time, especially like if you're like the tech savvy family member, I bet like if you're, you know, the IT person of the family and your uncle asks you to create a site for him, that's a situation that could easily lead to this decision. 
Another situation where I could see it happening uh, is if you're an entrepreneur, like you're started your own business, you're, you know, a small little e-commerce shop that sells fabric or something, right? Like you're just really good at sourcing fabric for some reason. And then all of a sudden, you know, like you, you build it out maybe in whatever Shopify or some other no code, uh, no, no code um, e-commerce platform. You start to approach the point where maybe you do need a little bit more power, a little bit more capabilities, a little bit more customization. Maybe you want something that looks a little bit better. So you want to get more into the design side of things. So like there's different situations that could force you down the path of learning or, or, or even evaluating should you learn to code. And I just want to make sure that like people that maybe are just starting to get into the web development and stuff like that realize that, Hey, Going down the path of just, hey, let's solve a problem with whatever tools available first and then worry about maybe going into and learning the in-depth um, aspects of code, of JavaScript, of HTML, of CSS. Those are very realistic scenarios that you're going to run into. And the flip side of it is as a developer, like if you're out there developing, you're going to have situations where the person chose not to learn to code and you're going to be the one that's going to be benefiting from that by, you know, being the the person that they hire to build out their platform a little bit more and stuff like that. So it's good to kind of understand it from multiple perspectives of where the situation can come from. And then obviously Matt will get into the decision-making aspect of it, but it is like, it is one of those things where you have to kind of sit down and write a pros and cons list almost and be like, do I want to invest my time or not? There certainly is a lot of perspectives here because I never really, you know, considered the the tech the tech savvy family angle or maybe a friend is like, hey, I'm opening a I'm opening a business and I need a, just a basic website. And maybe you've had a little experience or you've seen the commercials for Squarespace and you're tech savvy, but you've never built a site before. And you just sort of use that to help them out. That's that's a good one. Uh, but also there's the perspective of some of these platforms will sell you on, hey, start a business here. Um come to, you know, Webflow or come to this or come to that and start building on our tool and then start selling. And in the age of side hustles, you know, this is sort of a big thing. Um, I don't know if Webflow themselves, because I haven't looked at their marketing material in quite a while, but I don't know if Webflow themselves advertise that, but I, I certainly get that impression from sort of, let's say Webflow Twitter, where I do see some tweets where it's sort of like, hey, you know, if you're a designer or if you know how to build, do some UI UX stuff, you know, you could you can skip the code step and start building in, in, in Webflow and start getting some some money going, basically. And so I, I have a feeling like the main sort of angle, I guess, when I wrote this episode, although it is good to you know kind of see other perspectives. But the main angle that I thought of was someone who's either in a side hustle role where they've basically started on Webflow based on, you know, they, they were like, hey, I know this tool. I learned this tool. I can make some money on this. It slowly kind of grows from a couple of clients to sort of a business. And then once the business angle sort of kicks in, you know, you're trying to capitalize on the next opportunity. And maybe that next opportunity is to learn to code, to expand that capability, because this side hustle, depending on the size of it, could obviously overtake your full-time job as many side hustles can and will do, depending on the situation in the market and everything else that you're in. Um, so with that, I do have a pros and cons list for someone who's in, in this sort of situation where they're thinking, you know, I have a no code business established. Do I, 
you know, expand my capabilities, like what do I do? Do I learn to code? So some pros here are that your capabilities, as we've said before, your capabilities will expand over time from simply, you know, going from just just having the no code knowledge to expanding that no code. So, for example, in Webflow, you could have your Webflow uh, site just with only Webflow stuff. And then slowly you're adding a little bit of control. Maybe you're optimizing the images with some JavaScript or something. You're optimizing some of the features with a little bit of custom code. So you're expanding what you're already doing. So you're just sort of enhancing what you're already doing. And as you learn more and more and more, maybe eventually you'll start building full custom projects one day. Maybe that's not the path that you want to go on, but it's a possibility because you'll slowly learn more and more and more. Um, you'll be able to continue working as another pro. So you'll be able to continue working as you do this as well. So if you're running this little no-code business where you're spinning up people's Webflow sites, um, you know, you'll be able to learn on the side of building the sites that you always have. And over time, as you get some practice, you'll slowly be able to offer these clients new features and capabilities based on your skills. And therefore you might actually make more money from more complex projects because, Hey, you know, you're, you're, you're more skilled now. And with that, another pro is that with additional expertise, with, with more skill, oftentimes your rates can fairly increase, which ultimately nets, nets you more per hour because you have more expertise. You're bringing more to the table. You're helping people uh, with more things and you're able to say, hey, you know, I'm now not just a beginner or I'm not just in side hustle mode. I'm in full business mode and I know how to code up a little app. I know how to use this no code tool. I'm bringing more to the table and more solutions to the table. Ultimately, another pro here is that even if you just dabble in coding, you'll be able to talk tech with programmers that you hire on your projects which is a great skill to have if you boost productivity. So if we look at this from the perspective of somebody who does have a working relationship with a developer and it works for their business right now, you, if you're a no coder, you might think, or you might not be able to talk tech with them too much. You might be able to just sort of talk in the no code tool that you're using. And unfortunately, you know, maybe that's not good enough sometimes and the message gets lost in translation. But if you're able to talk a little more jargon with them, by learning just a little bit of coding, just dabbling in it doesn't mean you're going to become a coder, doesn't mean you're going to be coding much. That's not your goal. If your goal is to just really kind of lock down and get better and better and better at your no code, um, your no code skill, because these tools do take a long time to learn and maybe learn other no code tools as well. And then let your developer handle the custom code. I mean, just getting a little bit of coding knowledge can go a long way in communicating with them, which will probably speed up tickets that you give them or work orders that you give them. And it'll really allow you guys to have like a conversation to be like, Hey, you know, I need this, this, and this, I think this will hook into this class. I think we need a web hook here, whatever it is. You could talk a little more jargon and get that point across a little easier. Another pro here is that you can learn just enough if you'd like to handle your client's common needs and stop wherever you want. You don't need to master the entire craft. So this is one of these pros that kind of come from the perspective of somebody who has that no-code business up and running, and they're trying to enhance it. They're, that's a different perspective from somebody who is in, let's just say, a totally different industry, like driving or something, whatever. It doesn't matter what it is, cooking or anything. And they decide, hey, I want to become a programmer. Well, 
if they want to become a programmer, they're going to be looking at what code, like what, where do I even go in programming? Am I going into game programming, web development? Am I going here, there, and the other thing? And then if they go into web development, we all know there's a web of stuff. Are they learning React? Are they learning Vue? Are they a backend? Are they a front end? Are they a full stack developer? And that's just high level. There's so many of these little divisions within the industry that really divide and divide up uh, our skills into different pools. And it's a lot. Right. Like learning just the front end sounds easy, but there's even subdivisions in there. Like, is it view? Is it react? Is it this? Is it that? Am I going to become an expert in the hosting? Am I doing DevOps? Am I doing in the back end type of thing? Like, where where do I where do I go? And that perspective, I think, is kind of null here unless your path. And I'll mention this later, too. But unless your path is to go from a no code developer to a full on developer, you can just use code to enhance what you're currently doing. And you don't need to have that perspective of, oh, my God, I need to become a full stack developer. It's a different it's a different perspective and it's there's definitely commonalities in it. You might learn a little react to build a little web app on the side, or you might just learn a little JavaScript to make Webflow a little more customizable or a little more optimized or something like that. You can kind of go wherever you want because you have a base. Your foundation is I'm building a no code. Now what? You're not just like, I want to be a programmer. Now what? Which is a kind of, there's no base yet. You just decided you want to be a coder and you don't even know where, where you're going to go from there. So that's, that's a, go ahead. Before, yeah, before you get into the cons, I, I just wanted to add, build on your point there and maybe offer a little bit of a counterpoint. If you do, essentially, if you do want to become a programmer in this route, right? So I think a pro is that if you learn to code a little bit here and you gain some momentum there, you do have that option. It is a pro where you can take those skills and continue to learn while potentially generating some money doing doing this as a side hustle with the freelance business to the point where you can potentially change your career. Or if, you know, if the freelance stuff dries up, you can go and work at a, as a developer at a job. Like the reality is, yes, it's tough to get into the industry as a junior developer, but if you already have a foundation in clients, if you already have a foundation in developing, it becomes a little bit easier. And the industry is looking for experienced developers on a crazy amount, even with layoffs and stuff like that. People are still getting jobs. People are still making good salaries. So it is a viable option for you to then take your skills that you learned while you were on the side hustle freelancing and go and you know get a six-figure job working remotely and have security for your family or yourself or whatever. So it does add a little bit of tools to your tool set. If you really like it, you have that option to invest more time and become a full-on developer at a company and, uh, you know, live the developer life. And with that being said, too, there are jobs that do hire, say, Webflow developers and other no-code developers as well. And it, and it would probably look good on a resume if you even just had a little bit of coding knowledge for one of those jobs. If you were even if, say, you were being hired to set up the Elementor, um, the Elementor layouts on a WordPress. Well, if there's a little issue in WordPress, it'd be nice if you could maybe solve that instead of having to call the developer or call the DevOps guy or whatever the situation kind of calls for. So it's interesting in that way, too, where. It's just a little extra skill. Doesn't you don't need to go all out, but you can go all out. Like Mike says, it just depends on whatever path you want to go down. So definitely a pro in that way is because you could just learn. You could literally learn JavaScript for, to fix a major issue that many of your clients are having, and then just save that snippet 
and throw that knowledge out and then just keep doing your no code thing if that's good enough for you, for your income or whatever, or your goals. The the sky's the limit. And also you don't have to go to you don't have to go all the way to the sky. It's really up to you. Next one here is going to be the, the cons. So there's a list of cons here, of course, as with everything. So the first con here is it's a big time investment that could occasionally disrupt your day to day work. So this is assuming that you're really busy on your no code business and you're you know more designer than coder and you're doing a lot of designs in whatever no code tool you're using, like Elementor, like Webflow, uh, any of that stuff. And of course, there's a bunch more. I use those two because those are sort of the primary ones I use, of course, but there's tons out there. So it's a big time investment. And so if you're really busy, maybe you don't have the time uh, to learn any coding. And even though it would enhance some stuff, you're already busy. So maybe it's just not the time to do that. So it is a con in that way. Next one here is, you know, if you're in the no code community, you'll more than likely have your ear to the ground on new features of your no code tool of choice and for other no code tools that are launching across the web. These represent in this space, new opportunities for you and your clients via service, via your service offerings. So something like member stack is an opportunity. Something like Webflow logic is an opportunity, things like that. And maybe you wouldn't hear about that if you were busy learning to code and you might be distracted. You might miss out on that. And because you're new, maybe you code it up. And this is crazy because this is a lot of work, but just in this hypothetical, if you some, for some reason, coded up your own custom membership thing that plugged into Webflow, and then you didn't realize MemberStack was there. You know, this is obviously an extreme example, but you know, that's not good. And this can happen, right? Like there's tons of, because I was in the coding sphere for a long time or, or in my like kind of hybrid no code and code uh, thing for a long time for, with clients, or I was on that big project that we mentioned for the last maybe year and a half. Um, and so I was kind of like, everything was muted to me. And then I, like, I didn't really update myself on what circle was, what member stack was, you know, I didn't realize that Webflow logic was coming. I didn't realize Webflow memberships was coming. Um, I hadn't learned a lot of that stuff. Cause I was just sort of, I was distracted. I was stuck in what I was doing. Cause I was busy. And so you could, if you're, you know, doing your no code stuff and you're in the community and that taking up all your time, if you go to code or learn it, it's something's going to give either you got to cut the client work back or you got to cut your social life back or whatever. Something's got to give and it could cost you an opportunity. Now, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, this is a preference con, the next one here. So once established in coding, you may reach for custom code when a no code tool is ready for the using. And this could be due to you not realizing that there is a no code tool available because of the reason that I just said the previous con or that you just reached for the nearest familiar tool, which just so happened to be code and you just didn't even do a quick Google search. And so some people would like this and say, yeah, you know, you're some people would say you're graduating away from no code and, you know, that's really good. But some people would say, no, hey, you know, that that's an inefficient way to do it. You're reinventing the wheel or maybe you know, it's a it's a rush project for an existing client and you didn't realize it was a no code tool and you had to delay it because you went for a custom code. So this is like, again, this is a preference thing is whether you specifically wanted to use custom code, whether you thought custom code was the was the was the the best, I guess, option for that, for whatever feature that you're trying to implement, stuff like that. But it's another tool in the tool set that could sort of muddy it up. So again, this is a preference one. Like you might say this as a pro and say, hey, you know, that that's good. I want to make some of my own stuff. But you might say, hey, 
you know, whatever, like, I don't really want to code. I'm just going to do this to enhance my business. So maybe I just want to keep no coding and I'll no code wherever I can. And even if I learn, you know, X feature, if a no code tool comes in and is really good at X feature, I'm going to throw that knowledge out about my coding and I'm going to use that, that other no code tool. Just to add to this before you move on, uh, it's a good point because the client, like let's say you're working for a client on a Webflow project, the client doesn't care how you get to the solution. Not only that, if you kind of reason with the client sometimes, let's say that there is something that they want that's custom, that might need to be custom built in Webflow, but there is something close that Webflow supports. There could be a way for you to reason with them to move them towards the, the, the Webflow side of things because A, it's in the ecosystem. It's going to be better in that sense. And B, it's just going to be a lot cheaper and faster for them to accept that solution and move forward with it rather than you going out of your way because you want to learn how to code to code up a custom solution. Like it's almost never in the client's best interest to code up a custom solution when something already exists. Especially when you're talking small business clients that don't see the benefit of something, you know, being 0.0001 second faster, right? Like if, if, if we're talking, you know, enterprise level clients, then we're not talking about no code anyway, for the most part. But if we're talking about a regular client in a freelance situation, most of the time you're going to be able to get away with whatever solution has already been there in, inside of a Webflow sphere. Or you're at least going to be able to compromise a way around it. So try to think of it from their perspective. Try to think of it from your own perspective because like Matt said multiple times here where like the time that you spend learning the, the code the code to do something custom is time you could spend building another website for a different client. That's money out of your pocket. So there, is, there has to be this balance. Even if you go down the path of learning to code, you have to still make these decisions where like you're going to be essentially – uh, losing money going down the path of learning to code, but there has to be a goal at the end of it, right? That's a thing like we'll get to it in the conclusion, but like there has to be something that pushes you towards that option. Yeah, that that's a good, that's a good point is like you, you're more or less kind of, what would you say? You're sort of balancing when you're talking about, a live project, especially you're sort of balancing what tool to use. And sometimes let's say, you know, you love view. If we're just talking about coding to take it into that sphere and take it out of no code for a second, if you just love view and the client, you know, has it partially set up in react and it's a, there's a strict deadline and you know, react, I mean, you're not going to take it into your preference. You're going to use react, but if, there's you know unlimited time and the clients chill about it. Maybe you take it into view, especially if you're taking over that code base for, you know, for the foreseeable future, you might think, you know, this is going to be way easier for me to maintain view. It's going to be better maintenance. I'm going to be happier. So maybe I'll do that. It's just something to consider. Um, and so, you know, no code again is another tool in the tool belt where like we will even tell clients, you know, what, you know, what's your project or ask clients, what's your project? They'll tell us. And then we have, we don't tell them all the tools at our disposal, but we'll say, Hey, you know, we think this should be all custom. We think this should be all Webflow. We think this should be all WordPress. Um, and like giving them options like that, you know, is good and bad. Like sometimes they get confused or whatever, but us having these options, like knowledge wise is great because we can go to like, we can work quickly and sort of, 
I guess you could say like administer the solution that we think is best. It's not that we have one solution where we're only doing WordPress and then they come to us and they need something that would be 10 times faster done in, in another platform of some sort. And we're like, no, we're only doing WordPress. And yes, I, I, I there's an argument here and I'm not going to get too into this where some people are like, yeah, but like if you're just WordPress, it's easier for you and your team to maintain. That's absolutely correct. So there's pros and cons and everything. But Mike and I, at least at this current stage, we offer just a few different things. It's basically custom WordPress or uh, Webflow. And that's more or less what we'll offer to people. And we'll say, if you want a lot of customizability, use this. You know, it sounds like you might have more extendability and we want more extendability in the future. Use this. Uh, we've had one guy come to us and the uh, data that he was using was extremely all about security. And I was like, get it away from these other platforms. We should do it custom and, you know, whatever. We don't want there to be any like cross pollution of data, this and that. So, you know, it really does depend on the solution. And so there is that balancing act of choosing what tool is right for the job. And sometimes there is no perfect answer, but it's just something that needs to be considered very closely. And sometimes having too many tools actually as well, as a side note, is bad because then you don't know what to choose. So that's why we that's why we've limited it at this point to the three, basically the three pillars. Um, now, last con here, just because no no code tools seem easy uh, does not mean that they are. You can't just simply say. I'll use Webflow for this and then go and like learn to code something and then just expect to jump into Webflow on the last day of the project because you've done the little coding part, maybe a little web app and just build the marketing site in a day. I mean, I can because I've used Webflow for a long time. But if you, like there is a, a clean code aspect to Webflow, you can have really messy code, which is bad for yourself, for maintenance, uh, for any, for yourself or anyone else who's going to maintain it in the future and bad for accessibility bad for screen readers and stuff like that. Like you can have messy, you can have messy no code. Um, so it's something certainly to consider that these no code tools seem easy, but they're not. And it takes a long time to learn them. And so if you're taking time to code, thinking that that's the hardest thing, which maybe it is, you know, arguably it is and it isn't depending on the no code tool, but that does take time away from that practice with that no code tool. Like I told Mike, like there's been projects that we've been presented where like if they had all the material, like all the graphics and all the copy, I could quickly spin you up a five page website in an afternoon in about four hours. And it wouldn't be perfect. Obviously it wouldn't have the polish, but if it was some sort of emergency, like, Oh my God, we're going to be sued unless we put this up. I could very quickly, if I was available, just bang that out in a good four hours and at least get something even responsive, but like something half decent put up. But that's only because I have so much practice with Webflow. I'd argue it's also because you have you do have a coding background as well. It's a good point because like th this this con could actually be a pro in some cases because if you understand the concepts behind HTML and CSS and I still treat those as code. Uh, if you understand the concepts behind them, it makes it easier for you to understand where you're screwing up in your learning process of like something like Webflow. Why you're page isn't semantically correct, why there, why it is a mess for screen readers. Without the base knowledge of HTML and CSS, it becomes more difficult to get there. I, I don't think it's impossible. I think you can learn those skills strictly through a no-code platform. It is totally possible. I just think it's a little bit more difficult. So maybe, you know, you get the basis of the, of the no-code builder like Webflow 
And then you do spend a little bit of time learning the basis of the stuff that you're building in like HTML and CSS to then better your no code skills. So it's not just like, Hey, I'm going to learn coding for coding's sake. Uh, no, you're going to learn coding to become a better no code developer potentially, right? Because you're starting to understand how this stuff works. And if you learn JavaScript, you're starting to understand how this stuff was built in the first place. So now you're like, now that stuff is really turning for you where you can see stuff coming together like why you know putting this component here is making this component break and stuff like that like this these kinds of understandings only come from diving deeper into both the no code software and the code behind it that that's certainly the case for a lot of things in webflow as well i know i've been saying webflow a lot um but something you know just as simple or seemingly simple as you know the classes and like what Webflow calls a combo class, which is literally just two classes or more put together. Um, you know, that knowledge comes from my CSS knowledge. Uh, there are times where I just know I'm going to have to put in a couple, like a little bit of custom JavaScript based on the Webflow documentation. Um, I know, and I, like I do use obviously the, you know, the display properties and stuff. Cause like, like I said, a hundred times Webflow has that interface where, you know, I literally click the display none button. I click the display flex button. If you don't know the CSS, you're going to be struggling or, you know, copying and pasting like elements from other projects that just look kind of like the layout you want. Whereas like I'm doing, you know, my first projects are obviously a mess because of course they are. Even though I knew CSS, there's still a little bit of a like a Webflow mess because Webflow will auto-populate class names for you and stuff like this. But, you know, my newer ones are like, super organized and like our latest project is super optimized too for the, for the amount of content that's on that site. So, you know, it is something, it is absolutely something to consider that, you know, maybe like the coding black, the coding background can absolutely help your no code platform knowledge. Absolutely. Depending on how the no code platform is put together, but absolutely can help. And in this case it did. So all this stuff, I guess, is like a, a good point to, to mention based on Mike's point is that all this stuff, you know, it's all web development. So it's all touching and it's all like kind of a, a bit of a web altogether. And it's going to, you know, we'll bump up against each other. And sometimes things are on the fringe of the web, but it's still part of the web. Like this, this like little web of like all this knowledge and back end, front end, full stack, no code, all this stuff. It's like all this stuff is going to it all is in there somewhere and. Some stuff's further, you know, further out, out to lunch and some stuff's a little bit closer to the center of the web, but it's all there together. So stuff like this is going to bump up against each other for sure. With this, though, um, with the pros and cons laid out that, that anyway that we've come up with, I'm sure maybe you have thought up a bunch of other ones. Ultimately, the decision is really up to you. But if you want my advice, you know, I personally think that it helped me expand my Webflow projects. And Mike made a good point that it helped me actually get into Webflow in the first place. And this allows me to offer options to clients that want proprietary advanced features. So in a, as an example, we've had a, uh, we've had a conversation with clients where we're working away on Webflow. It's, you know, it's, everything's great and the project is whatever. And then there's a bit of not necessarily scope creep, but like another phase of the project where it wasn't even phase two hadn't even been thought of. And they come to us and they say, Hey, I want this advanced feature. And we'll say, hey, you know, that is not actually possible in Webflow. We are able to do it, but it's like it's like basically its own app or 
We can keep it in Webflow and these are your options. You know, I'll have to cut this back a little bit. I'll have to change this a little bit. I'll have to mess around with this and see if I can get this to work, massage this a little bit. Maybe a little bit of custom code will, you know, cover up the fact that Webflow is incompatible with certain things. And so, you know, which option do you want? Do you want us to basically charge you for making another web app that will plug into Webflow, embed into Webflow, or it's in a subdomain or whatever, because we have those capabilities? Or do you want us to take this uh, problem that you have or this, this ask that you have and like kind of fit it into Webflow, for example? And so like that's happened, you know, so many times. And again, like it wasn't even scope creep this time. It was really just like, hey, you know, I love first phase of the project. It's done. We're thinking, you know, expanding. What do you think of this? And so having that coding knowledge is really helpful. And so, again, I personally think that it does help with our no code stuff for sure. I think just to add to the conclusion here, uh, it's really important to find out if you like it. That's another really big factor that I think you need to take when you're making the decision, should I learn to code? Like, I think as you're learning it, you're going to have that feeling of, aha, like this makes sense or, oh no, like this, you know, this doesn't, why doesn't that make sense? And if you have that feeling on a consistent basis where you're just want to keep learning just for the sake of learning even, it is a really good indicator that you're probably going to succeed and get through your problems and get and actually learn how to code. If on the other hand, you're hating every second of it just to build out and like, you know, a better nav bar, or something, it's a good indicator to tell you that, hey, maybe I should just, you know, stick to the no code side of things, learn that really well, because that's something that I like. Because at the end of the day, like no one's forcing you to learn it. Uh, for the most part, no code tools can do what you need them to do. And you're just the reality, like it's going to be very difficult for you to learn coding if you really hate it. Obviously, you might want to try just a different approach here and there. Like if you, if you're trying to learn through like YouTube videos, maybe you should download a course, like buy a course or, uh, find a course that works for you and try that. Maybe you need to just read some guides or something, try different things for learning before you give up. But my thought is like, if you really hate it, there's just so much that you have to continually learn. And when you get into development and when you get into coding, it's only going to get worse. In the sense that it's gonna, you're gonna have to learn more and more and more. It never stops. One of the reasons that, you know, programmers are paid a lot is because it's constantly evolving. Like you're not just like, Hey, I have this set of skills. I can, you know, turn on a switch on and off with these, like the circuit that's always gonna be around for 10 years. No, like you can learn something today and tomorrow something better can come out that you might have to replace it with. Like that is a reality of our industry. And as you continue to learn, it it is difficult, but you have to enjoy the process of learning it. So a really, really good indicator for you to be like, hey, I'm a I want to be a developer is if you enjoy the process of learning how to code. Just just keep that in mind. And if you do, then dive into it because again, there's so many opportunities out there, whether it be starting your own SaaS business, whether it be becoming a developer, like at a company, whether it be working for startups, like there's just so many paths you can go down if you actually enjoy it. It's, it's a good point to make, especially since this area is going to be so heavily side hustle territory, I would say, or at least I'd estimate, I don't have numbers in front of me. Maybe I'm totally wrong, but 
especially if your sort of main daily job, your day job is paying the bills and you're just trying to make a little extra money. You don't actually need the side hustle. Enjoyment's a big thing. <laughs> you should probably enjoy that, especially if the side hustle starts becoming serious enough where it could replace your full time job. If you're doing that and it's because you don't like your full time job, you probably shouldn't make a side hustle that you also dislike. That's a good point, because um, obviously, you know, Webflow, for example, has generally, you know, less maintenance. Um, they handle the hosting and stuff like that. If you're using their hosting, obviously, there's you can export the code and this and that. But in general, if you're in the Webflow ecosystem, they handle the hosting and all that. Uh, you're just building the site and, you know, you're responsible, I guess, to take the odd backup with their system or they do auto backups as well. So even they're handling that. Um, but you're not doing all the DevOps and all the server stuff and all that stuff. You're not doing that. And so, you know, the Webflow and stuff like that is definitely side hustle territory in which like the for, for the vast majority of stuff, it's like a lot of the stuff is not, you know, in an emergency, like, oh, my God, the server's down. It's like, well, if the Webflow server's down, I can't fix that. <laughs> so so, you know, short of like the registrar going down or, you know, something where like the little the little bit that you control um, for the most part, Webflow is handling it. So something like a no-code tool is going to be so side hustle based. And if you hate it, maybe, maybe like look elsewhere or something like that, or like look for some enjoyment in it somewhere. But having like a bit of a personal angle there, Mike, is a good point. Like you should probably enjoy your side hustle or your job <laughs> if you can, uh, of course. Now, after we've drawn those conclusions, um, let's just say, we, you know, you've taken my advice and you want to you want to decide that you do want to expand your no code knowledge uh, or your no, sorry, you want to expand from your no code knowledge to a bit of coding knowledge. So how how do you learn code as a no coder? So these are these are my points. And I want to be clear that this is these points are kind of aimed at somebody that wants to expand a no code business and not wanting to switch entirely to custom code to switch away from no code. So they want to use a hybrid, if you will. Um, so. If you do want to do this hybrid of no code plus code, you know, I don't think you should be worrying about what language to use. I don't think you should be worrying about what language to use. I don't think you should be worrying about back end versus front end. I don't think you should be worrying about any of that. If you're using a popular no code platform, there will normally be a lot of community guides out there that will show you how to expand its custom, its, its capabilities, excuse me, with custom code. And this is a great place to start. So obviously you could and probably have used quote unquote custom code on your no code projects by just copying snippets that are available in these guides. But maybe you want to make a snippet that doesn't exist for a problem that or a little shortcoming or something like that, that the community hasn't hasn't uh, done yet. Well, by looking at the community guides out there and seeing what they're doing or finding, let's say you want to customize the Webflow slider or something and you look it up and someone has one like a community has one and it's not quite what you wanted. You could still use their work as a base and it'll tell it'll it'll start to again, this is just a place to start, but it'll basically tell you like, oh, OK, I need to use JavaScript for this. Like they're using JavaScript. I just don't like how they implemented this. And I'm going to you know figure out how to code in JavaScript a little bit or modify their code, um, assuming it's up for grabs. I'll modify their code to ensure that I'm able to, you know, make the changes and do what I want with this slider. And, you know, with that, I think a really key thing is learn based upon the platform that you're on. So learn to expand and fix up those little shortcomings on the platform that you're on. Let the let, let your primary no code platform drive these coding decisions. At least that's, this is my thought anyway. Some people may disagree. But for example, I've already mentioned it a little bit that Webflow slider 
at my last check at least, is not fully editable in the CMS. It's editable in the designer, but anyone who's what Webflow calls a collaborator, which are people that just use the CMS, they can't change the slider too well. There's like, I think there might be a little bit of control, but they definitely can't add or remove slides and stuff like that. So it's limited. So I built out a slider that interfaces with the Webflow CMS that allows my clients to fully customize the slider according to their needs. They can add, remove, and reorder slides easily. No big deal. And I did that all in custom code and I just used it. And then I interfaced it obviously with the CMS. Didn't use an API or anything, just figured out how the CMS worked. And then I just made it work. And so I made my own custom solution. So that's an example of that. So by basing your learning on the platform that you're on, you'll probably have your language and all that sorted out by the fact that you're going to look up, hey, is there a way to make this this slider work this way? Oh, there isn't. But there's one that's like kind of close. They're using JavaScript. Maybe I'll try JavaScript and you can start to play with it and see if it works or, hey, they're using PHP for this. And then you can play with PHP a little bit and see what they're doing. That type of stuff is is where what I'm talking about is you're already you already have the foundation of a no code business at this point. So learn to enhance the your business at hand. And over time, you'll slowly learn more things or you'll just become curious. You might be like, man, I'm only using JavaScript to customize my Webflow stuff. You're just doing a little bit of front end stuff at this point. But you're like, hey, you know, I never really thought of this, but like, how does a Webflow CMS work? You know, what's this database thing about? And you may just become curious naturally and just look that stuff up on your own. But only if you want to, I would say really let that platform drive you, because at this point, you're kind of you are running a business and you want to enhance it. So do just do that, of course. And. Once you're able to expand the platform that you're on, you'll have a good base of how to interface with the platform you're on for more advanced apps. Like I said, I figured out how the CMS, the Webflow CMS was outputting stuff. And then I coded up a JavaScript slider, JavaScript, HTML and CSS slider to work with how Webflow CMS was working, right? So because I figured out how that works, I figured out how to interface with it over time and through more than just this slider through other projects as well. You'll slowly be able to start building web apps that plug into the no code platform of your choice. And maybe maybe you're not going to do this, but you might work with a developer to make a middleware. So you might have something like this is just totally made up. But if you wanted to use IFTTT to do something with Webflow and for whatever reason it was incompatible because maybe the data doesn't match up or, you know, the, the, the output of the data from the Webflow CMS or from the RSS that's provided or whatever isn't quite what IFTTT needs and you can't get it to work. Well, if you understand that interfacing part, you might be able to very easily communicate with a developer and say, hey, I have this compatibility problem. Webflow is doing this and give them a really detailed in- instruction on this is what I need the interface to Webflow to look like. And this is what I need the web, the, uh, the interface to IFTTT, which is not a no code platform, but certainly a tool to use or Zapier or something like that. I need this interface. Can you make the middleware and give me effectively these endpoints and I'll handle the rest with a little bit of front end or something. So again, like by expanding your knowledge and getting to learn the platform you're on, you're really enhancing your capability. Even if you still need to reach out for help, you're still able to, again, to communicate with the jargon and understand or, or you understand what you're saying to them and you're able to convey your point more clearly, which obviously communications key in this industry among others as well. I, I think that that's a good point. I think that's, 
that's a big part of the drive to get into learning to code is when you have that like one little thing that you want to do differently than the platform is allowing you and you write some custom code for that. And it's, I think it's a great place to start. Uh, I think there's a lot to learn to be learned there. And a lot of decision making, like Matt said, is made up for you because there's only certain things you can do in those platforms. So usually it's just straight JavaScript, for instance, or in WordPress's case, like Matt said, PHP. Uh, but after you get that taste for it, right? After you get the taste for, you know, I, I like this. I've learned, I've made this custom plugin. The path gets a little bit more murky and that's where this analysis paralysis comes in. That's where decision making comes in, but it all comes down to what your goals are. And that's why like it's very difficult for us to be like, Hey, go down this path. We have a roadmap episode. If you want to listen to that, where I go into detail why I don't like doing roadmaps, but I at least give you my take on one. And that's probably a good place to start if you want to learn deeper in the platform. But essentially, it, it boils down to where you want to go. Like if you want to become better at creating layouts in Webflow, then learning HTML and CSS is going to be an asset. It's just the case. Like it's just reality. If you want to become better at building out custom uh, you know, custom code for Webflow, or if you want to build, be able to build out custom code for whatever other platform in the front end, then JavaScript is going to be the, the path you go down. But it's always going to be this path chosen based on the decisions that you want to make and path chosen based on what you have found works for you so far, right? Again, this, these, all these different technologies and all these different paths to go down is another reason why code is in such high demand. Matt and I, we like this is one episode of the podcast. We've probably talked about 15 different technologies, 20 different technologies, even though we're trying to narrow it down. There's just so many different stacks. There's so many different tools. There's so many different hosting platforms. There's so many different positions you can be in that entire stack that there's just constant demand for different types of developers, for developers that can adapt better, for developers that are more specialized, like literally every part of the problem, every part of a developer is in, in demand at this point for someone that actually has experience, especially. That's why like junior developer is tough, tough to get in because you, you don't know what kind of developer you are. You don't know if like the, the company doesn't know if you can get past roadblocks. That's the biggest thing is like every part of your daily tasks is going to be roadblock after roadblock essentially because there is no like set hey follow this exact thing to get this done uh, there like, there are some cases of that maybe but a lot of the times it's going to be hey you have to figure out how to solve this and try to not ask as many questions as you can <laughs> even though you know we're taught to ask questions you also are, they're also hoping that you can kind of fly on your own and that's that's the biggest challenge so again when you're learning how to code great like, you know, find the, the path of least resistance. So learning how to code in your no code tool to make, to expand your uh, platform is a great way to do it. But as you start going down the path heavier, like again, follow that instinct of like the path of least resistance for you, wherever you want to get better at is the way, is the place to go. That's almost always going to be true because whatever motivates you to continue learning Whatever continues the snowball effect is going to be the most effective way for you to learn to code.
it's sort of like what well, is just trusting your process, whatever process worked for you may not work for somebody else, but you know, the best path forward for you in general, of course, you may have to consult advice or ask, ask for literally a consultant or get a consultant or something to help you. But that's a part of you knowing, Hey, I don't know where to go. I need to talk to a consultant, but everyone's plat, everyone's, um, I was gonna say everyone's platform, but everyone's uh, path forward has been different. Some people started on Webflow, and I'm sure are probably react developers. Now, some people started on react and now they're on Webflow. Maybe, you know, it, it's, it's really sky's the limit. Some people are probably web devs or were, or were game devs and now are web devs and vice versa. And so, you know, whereas this episode kind of, pigeonholed us to like no coding and versus coding and that there's absolutely, you know, you can take like a lot of these pieces of advice and really apply it, I suppose, to, you know, do a pro and con list of what your next move is. You know, do do I learn Svelte or learn this or learn that? If you're just a coder, if you're just like, if you don't touch no code at all and you're just doing coding and stuff like that. um, I think a lot of, a lot of this is really about, you know, trusting your process, knowing when to reach out for help, and experimenting because there's not just one right answer. You could become the next Webflow partner or whatever they call them. You might become, you might start on Webflow, think it's going to be the best thing ever. You hate it. You start using WordPress and Elementor and you're huge on there. Uh, you might become, you know, a custom coder and you love it and you stay there. That's ultimately, you know, the path forward and whatever is successful to you, it's ever hitting your goals or your hobbies or whatever it is. I think that, you know, you just trust your own process and reach out when you need to and stuff like that, of course. But everyone's process is is different. And I think we just need to acknowledge that. And uh, especially with something like this, where, you know, it's a the topic of the episode to bring it back to that is like a no code business kind of growing. It's like, of course, you know, are you going to just stay on no code? Go ahead. Are you going to expand to coding? Cause people want a bunch of custom things. Maybe. Are you going to suddenly start like plowing snow because there's a bunch of money in that? I mean, maybe who knows, right? So everyone's processed. Everyone's path is different. And I think that's a, that's a crucial thing that we've even talked about here um, a lot where Mike has like brought up like several different paths for developers or, you know, hey, like, you know, maybe, you, you know, you were on the side hustle train or maybe you were just the techie guy in your family and stuff like that. Like, even when just talking about this one topic, there's, you know, basically an indefinite amount of paths around it. And so, you know, really just trust your own process and take it from there. Uh, but I think I think that's it. I think we've covered it um, unless you uh, have anything else to add, Mike. No, I think that's it. I think we've uh, we got this topic down. It's nice to be back after being sick. <laughs> so thanks, everyone, for being patient and listening to the older episode that we released. Um, but there's going to be a lot coming up soon. So uh, stay tuned for that. That's for sure. Yeah, and it's nice to uh, I was on I had a proper vacation for the first time in, I think, four years. I've taken the odd day off here and there. Uh, mostly for like family stuff or whatever, or maybe I would extend a long weekend or something. But um, yeah, this it was actually off for once. So I actually, I don't know if I sound calmer, but I, I feel calmer, which is nice. <laughs> so uh, for once, which is weird because I drank a couple, couple, couple of cups of coffee right before this. So yeah, it's been a, 
it's been a good week and it's been a crap week for Mike, but at least we're back now and uh, we're back to the back to the norm for right now. But uh, with that, you know, let's end the episode here. So many thanks to our three dollar tier patrons. Ryan Gatchel from Blue Black Digital on BlueBlackDigital.com. Chris and Self-Made Web Designer on SelfMadeWebDesigner.com. Tim from The Web Hacker on TheWebHacker.com. DL Ford from DLFord.io. Bip Hashdash on Nine Block Media, NineBlockMedia.com. Jason from Geek Life Radio via GeekLifeRadio.com. Mecco Curie from MCWebStudio via MCWebStudio.ca. Magnus from YesWeb via YesWeb.se. And Jeff from Twitter via at the Jeff McHale. Feel, f- please feel free to leave a comment or a review on the platform that you are listening to this on. Rusty on this, uh, Rusty on this conclusion. <laughs> and we are signing off. You've been listening to HTML All The Things Podcast. Web development, web design, and small business. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from this show. And we hope you appreciate that we talk to you like human beings. And we hope you had some fun. We'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hit us up on social media, on Facebook, Instagram, and Patreon at HTML All The Things. And on Twitter at HTML Everything. Until next time, this is HTML All The Things, signing off.